The second half of the book begins with the word therefore and is very, very practical. Having the knowledge of what Christ has done should change us, should cause us to walk in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. And so Paul uses the word walk five times in those three chapters. He talks about walking worthy of the gospel, walking no longer as the Gentiles walk, uh, walking in love, walking in light, and walking in wisdom. So we were talking about walking with God, and even that phrase, it's a very Christian phrase. I think if you went and asked uh, the average person who is unchurched what it means to walk with God, they'd give you a funny stare. Walk with God? What do you mean walk with God? And yet we talk about it all the time. Uh, We talk about our, our personal walk with God. And so I asked the question of the class... What do you think that means, to walk with God? How do you know you're walking with God? We want to, obviously, as a a believer. It's something we express in positive terms. We want to walk with God. We ought to walk with God. But I asked them, what do you mean? What do you think it means to walk with God? And their answer was kind of, well, duh, it's just walking with God. And I said, no, no, no. Specifically, what do you mean when you say a walk with God? And and I asked, do you you think I'm walking with God? And they looked at me and said, yeah. And I said, well, how do you know? What do you you see in my life that indicates to you that I'm walking with God? you, You just are. And it's one of those things that it's difficult to, to, to define. What do we mean when we say we have a walk with God, specifically? How do we measure spiritual growth? We want to be growing spiritually. And really, the, the question I was asking about the walk with God was meant to, to stimulate thinking about, you know, is my walk with God today better than it was yesterday? Am I closer with the Lord now than I was a year ago? Is there spiritual growth taking place in my life, and how do we measure that? Growth is a good thing, right? Growth indicates life. Dead things don't grow. Alive things grow. It's one of the indicators that something actually possesses life, is the fact that it's it's growing. It's good. It indicates that there's life. It indicates normalcy to a degree. We bring our kids to the doctors, and they always check their height and their weight. And they compare it to a chart that they have of normal growth. And you want to see that, you know, they want to fit in between, you know, they've got the the narrow band in the middle and then the outside bands for the really tall people and the really short people or the really heavy people or the really light people. And they they need to fit in there somewhere. And uh, they want to see that curve of growth happening. Growth indicates success um, to a degree. We indicate Um, Or we measure the success of a business, for example, often by its growth. Investors want to see a business growing, not being static. And how do we measure that? Uh, We measure it in terms of numbers, I suppose, maybe numbers of employees, number of clients, um, total income, uh, profitability. You know, and we use these these things as measures of of how a company is growing, and they want to see change from from one point to the next point so that it indicates that it's, it's profitable. So growth is a good thing. And so when we're talking in terms of our own spiritual growth, that's a good thing. We want to be growing. Do you want to be growing spiritually? It's not like physical growth where you, know, you have a, a spurt when you're in your teenage years and then you stop. Well, I suppose we still grow a little bit after that, just in the wrong way, right? But in our, in our spiritual lives... We want to be able to see growth, a pattern of growth, an incline on the, on the chart, all through our life, from the time that we're saved until the time God takes us home. We want to be growing, no matter how old we are, no matter how long we have known the Lord in this life, it's something that, that's expected and that God wants. And growth can be measured. It should be measured, and depending on what we talk about, growth is measured in different ways. Like we said, you can actually measure something physically, you know, its height or its weight to see if it's growing. You can measure something numerically. If we said we had 150 people coming to church now and next year we have 250, we would say our church grew. 
Did it grow in the right way? I don't know. That's another question. But it grew. We can, we can use numbers as a, a manipulation to, uh, to measure growth, numbers of people, margins of profit, and so forth. But that leads us to the idea also that some things are very difficult, some types of growth are difficult to measure. So as parents, we want our children to become mature. We want them to grow up into adulthood. How do you measure that? I think different people may have different ways of measuring it, but you measure it kind of by the seat of the pants experience, right? Something happens and they respond a certain way and you see how they respond. Maybe it was with patience. And you see patience in their life and you go, oh, they're growing up. You know, they, they, didn't, they didn't fly off the handle and get all upset over this the way that they did before. And so you see growth. But those things are hard to quantify. How much patience equals maturity? How much, um, how much of anything equals anything? How do you measure it? So that's really what, where I want to go this morning. I want, to, I want this message to be very practical for us as believers to give us some points of reference to be able to measure our spiritual growth. We're going to look at several verses this morning. Um, most of them will have the word grow right in the verse uh, where God is commanding us to grow in a certain way or encouraging us to grow in a certain way. So what are we talking about? Spiritual growth is important, but what is it? Um, is it just a sense of I'm okay. I feel good about my Christianity, and I feel better about it now than I did before, and so therefore I must be growing. Um, is it a sense of well-being with God? Um, so, so what is it? We've had people leave fellowship and state that the reason they left is they felt they weren't growing. What does that mean? How can you sit under the teaching of God's word and not grow. There's, there's something that we have in our minds, I think, about what we mean when we say we grow that I'm not sure um, is exactly what the scriptures are talking about, but, but what, how do we grow? What, what are the markers in our life that should be changing day to day, month to month, year to year, that indicate that we're growing? Is it in terms of strength? Am I a stronger Christian now than I was before? Maybe my convictions are stronger. Maybe I'm able to witness with more boldness or more clarity. Maybe I can teach a little bit more clearly than I did before. Maybe my relationship to my husband or wife is better because I've worked on something. Maybe you know, There's lots of, of points of reference that we could use um, to talk about spiritual growth. But suffice it to say, it's necessary. It's important. And we'll get into that detail um, in the message this morning. I'd like you to first just look at a few verses with me to kind of whet our appetites for this whole idea of spiritual growth. And turn first to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 13 to 15. <clears throat> Back in verse 11... Paul states that God gifts certain men to equip the church for service. That's really our blueprint for, um, for church life is found in these verses. In verse 11 he says, He gave some as apostles and prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. And so God gives gifts to men. Why? Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints. Even the word equipping gives the sense of growth. You were, a certain, you were at a certain point, and as this equipping takes place, you, you get to another point, whether it's knowledge or ability or whatever it is. And so through these gifted men, the church is equipped to do uh, the work of service for the building up of the body of Christ until... And here's the end goal. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man. So there needs to be growth taking place in the body. 
we are all members of the body, so therefore it, it makes sense that there should be growth taking place in all of us as members. So unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So ultimately, Jesus Christ is our goal, to be like him, to the, the fullness of Christ, the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And as a result, we are no longer to be children. So here's another word that indicates there is to be growth. So we know that in physical life, we have children and they grow. I've heard people say, I wish they could stay this age, you know, the whole time. But in our heart of hearts, we don't want them to stay that age. We want them to grow up. We want, we want them to, to move ahead, uh, to move from, one, from elementary to junior high, junior high to high school, high school to college, college on to life and career and marriage, and, and that they would be successful in that life. And, and that's what we want. And it says, as a result, in verse 14, we are no longer children. So we've moved from one place to, to another. Tossed here by here and there by waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine. And so that the illustration in this verse, if you went to the beach on a stormy day and there was a heavy surf and you threw your three-year-old into the surf, he's going to get pounded. He can't stand. His legs aren't strong enough. But as he grows, he'll be able to gain muscle, he'll be able to gain stamina, and he will be able to withstand those waves. He can stand up and the waves can hit him and not, not knock him over anymore. As long as it's not a 10-foot wave, I guess. Illustration breaks down at some point. But you get the idea. So as children, we're not able to handle things like we can as adults. And here, Paul's saying, as a result of your growth and your maturity, you are no longer a child in Christ, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. So as you grow, your understanding of your faith in Christ grows. Your understanding of salvation and what Christ did grows so that when you hear other false doctrines, you don't get tossed aside and pulled away by those things, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness in deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to what? We are to grow up in him, in all aspects, into him who is the head even Christ. Look at 1 Peter 2.2. 2. <clears throat> Verses 1 and 2 I'll read. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. So just as, and he again uses the illustration of babies or children, so as babies get hungry, they cry. They let you know that they need something and they, they want that food, they want that meal. And he's saying, just like a baby cries for its milk, we need to be crying in the same way and longing for the word that by it we may grow. Long for the pure milk of the word, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. So there's there's an expectation that when you become a Christian, you don't just stagnate. Things change over time. They get from where you are to something better, something stronger, something bigger, something more. There's growth that takes place. Look at Second uh, Corinthians ten fifteen. So Paul is defending his ministry in this chapter and talking about his relationship specifically to this church. In verse 14, he says, For we are not overextending ourselves as if we did not reach to you, for we were the first to come, even as far as you in the gospel of Christ, not boasting beyond our measure, that is, in other men's labors, but with the hope that as your faith grows, we shall be within our sphere enlarged even more. 
by you. So Paul is saying, you know, we, we traveled to your location and, and gave the gospel, and we're not trying to boast about what we did or build on what somebody else did, but we're hoping that as you grow, as your faith grows, your openness to me as, as an apostle will also grow, that it would be enlarged. It's basically what he's saying. But in that phrase, there's also the idea that they're going to grow as your faith grows. Paul had the expectation that people in the, in the Corinthian church were going to be growing spiritually. And in this case, he's, he talks about their faith as, as your faith grows. Second uh, Thessalonians 1.3. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, uh, brethren, as is only fitting, because your faith is greatly enlarged, and the love of each one of you toward one another grows even greater. So here again, this is not just the expectation, but this is what Paul was observing in this church, that from the time that he had seen them at one point to the time he saw them at the next, these things had changed. Their faith had enlarged, and that was not only just personal faith that they had, but the gospel had gone out from them, so that the gospel now was not just in Thessalonica, but in other places. Um, and also, their love for one another had grown. More people were loving more people in better ways at this church. And he comments on that and commends them for it that your love has grown. So it's expected. This is just a smattering of verses in the New Testament where we see this idea that growth is expected. Um, Anyone who comes to Christ by faith and is saved will begin at a point, a journey of growth. And that growth should be, you know, it it may not be linear and just constantly be going up. There's, you know, there's the, the idea that there's ups and downs in life as there always is. And we may be growing more quickly at points in our life than other, but there should be a general upward, upward trend of, of growth in our life so that there's a measurable difference at the end of your life from the time when you first knew Christ. So I come back to my original question. How do you measure that? I think every one of us has a sense that we probably are growing, but how do we know? What are, we, what are you using, what am I using as a tool to measure our own spiritual growth and maturity? So I'd like to offer seven of them this morning. Sorry, there's, there's more than three. I like to make three-point outlines because they're easy to remember, but as I got studying, I'm like, there's more than that. And uh, there's probably more than seven as well, but if you want to jot them down, that's great. Um, but I know seven are going to be hard to remember. Um, So let's turn to 2 Peter 3.18 for the first one. So the first marker of spiritual growth that I'd like to offer to you this morning is an increased knowledge of God. An increased knowledge of God. Now this may not come as some breaking news to you and say, well, yeah, of course. But it really forms the foundation for many of the other markers of growth that we have, and so we have to, we have to talk about it. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, he says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So we need to be growing, first of all, in our knowledge. And really, knowledge only comes into our uh, our heads two ways, right? We either see it or hear it. Uh, there's, there's not too many other ways that you, can, that you can grow in knowledge other than to read something, see something happen and respond to it, or hear somebody say something. And so, at a minimum, we need to be putting ourselves into a place where we're seeing and hearing about God. So, we talk about coming to church, how important it is to come to church, and, and a lot of people in in today's world, have ditched church altogether. But why do we come? I mean, that's that's one of the main reasons we come is so that our knowledge can increase, so that we can be growing by hearing this, so we can can open the word together and, and learn it. 
As a matter of fact, in Ephesians, as we've been teaching through in the class, Paul prayed twice in that book, in the book of Ephesians, once in chapter 1 and once in chapter 3. And the main thrust of his prayer, which is really interesting because the main thrust of our prayers are generally for physical things, hospital stays, diseases, operations that are coming up, and, and those are great things to pray for. But Paul never, pr- he didn't pray for those things for the people. You know what he prayed for? He prayed that their knowledge would increase, that they would not only hear what he was saying, but that they would get it. Listen to the words that he used in, the, in, in these prayers. I just kind of pulled them out um, from both prayers in chapter 1 and chapter 3. He prayed for a spirit of wisdom with these people, a spirit of revelation, the knowledge of him. He prayed that their hearts would be enlightened, that they would know the hope of his calling, that they would know the riches of his grace, that they would know his power toward them, that Christ may dwell in their hearts, that they may comprehend the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ. And in each of those prayers is knowledge. Paul was praying that the knowledge of God would increase in their life. So it's an, it's an important thing. And in fact, after every one of the times that Paul uses the word walk in those chapters in Ephesians, you will find reference to the knowledge of God every single time. So walk in a spirit of wisdom, knowing that Christ, you know, and, and he uses those terms. And so even our walk with God, is, it's dependent on this. You can't have a strong and growing walk with God unless your knowledge of God is increasing. It has to be. Um, so, so here are some of the phrases that Paul uses in the second half of his book after each time he uses the word walk. He, in verse, um, you don't need to follow along in your Bibles, but in chapter 4, verse 13, he says, to attain to the knowledge of Christ, verse 14, not swayed by false doctrine, verse 15, speaking the truth, verse 17, not empty in mind, Verse 18, not darkened in understanding, not ignorant. Verse 20, he talks about you didn't learn Christ this way, so learning is important. Verse 21, you've heard him and been taught in him. Verse 23, being renewed in the spirit of your mind. Chapter 5, verse 6, not being deceived. How are we not deceived? We we need to know the truth. Um, Verse 10, or sorry, verse 8, you are light in the Lord. And we talk about light as being knowledge. You turn the lights off, you can't see anything. You become ignorant of where things are, and you trip over things. And so light exposes what's there, and and you're learning. So uh, he says, you are light in the Lord. Verse 10, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Verse 17, understand what the will of the Lord is. And over and over and over again, Paul refers to this. He doesn't just pray for it, but he's telling them, this is what you need to do to walk with God. Do you know the scripture better now than you did before? What are you doing to increase your knowledge? How do we increase that knowledge? Lots of ways, I suppose. We can get real practical, but memorize verses. Um, The the kids program that's going on right now, or maybe it's the morning one, I'm not sure which one, but they have uh, kind of a catechism going with the kids where they're asking questions, giving answers, and and memorizing a verse to support the answer. And so... uh, Teresa and I are both involved in helping our kids memorize verses of scripture. And, you know, our our hope is that in the end that God's going to use that in their lives and that they'll know the, the Bible. Do you know verses of scripture from memory? Would you be able, as you're talking to a friend or talking to somebody in an opportunity that God presents to you, to be able to just quote a Bible verse? To say, well, this is what the scripture says. Or not. Um, Do you know where to find verses in the Bible? If somebody's depressed. I know the Bible says something in there about joy. I just know where it is. I know it says something about trusting God. And I know there's verses in there that say trust God. but, But do you know Proverbs 3, 5, and 6? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Can we, can we bring these things up and, and are we growing in it? That's the point. And I think this is a point of growth. It's a point of measurement. 
in your spiritual growth that you can use. And by the way, none of these in and of themselves necessarily mean spiritual growth. People can memorize verses till they're blue in their face and have everything memorized and still not walk with God. You know, that's, that's, a, that's a possibility. But it doesn't negate the fact that this has to be in place in order for a walk with God to be strong and growing. And so, um, do you understand doctrine better than you did before? Do you understand the grace of God? Do you understand the salvation that God has given to you and, and what it cost? Do you understand the necessity of people to be saved and why? Um, and what the Bible says about sin and, and salvation and the atonement of Jesus Christ and, and those things. Are you able to speak about it? Um, are you able to, to speak about the ministry of the Spirit or the sovereignty of God? Um, so I think, you know, as a point of measurability, if we, if we can somehow measure that we're listening more, we're learning more, we're, our, our ability with the Word of God is increasing... Um, what do you say in Hebrews chapter 6? He says, at this point in your life, you ought to be teachers. But you're not. You still have need for people to go back and teach you the elementary things of Christianity. And so, where are we? How long have we been saved? How much time has passed? And has there been a pattern of growth in our ability with the word of God? That's a very measurable thing. And you can measure it yourself. I'm glad that... Um, Bob and Reva have this through the, the year, through the Bible in a Year program going on. I know many of you are doing it. That's, that's one practical way to you know, just get the word of God into our minds and in our, our hearts. But, but how are you doing with your own personal devotions, picking up the Bible and reading it and letting God speak to you and letting God get the word of God into your heart so that you have opportunity to, to teach it and speak about it. So marker number one for spiritual growth would be an increased knowledge of God. Marker number two, we'll go back to our verse in 1 Peter. What's the first thing he says? But grow in... In what? Grace. This one's a little harder to quantify, but I want to try to explain it as I see it. He says, not only to grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, but to grow in the grace of Jesus Christ. So first, I think we really need to be, and this is something that I've come to later in my Christian life and have appreciated more in my later Christian life, is a deeper understanding of what the grace of God really is. It changes everything. We, we have quick answers. If, you know, when I ask the question, what is the grace of God? What is grace? And we say, unmerited favor. You know, we're quick with a definition of what grace is. Or what's, what's the acrostic? God's righteousness at Christ's expense. Okay, and so we have a, a ways of, of remembering definitions Sunday school answers, you might call it. If somebody asks you, you can give it. But has the grace of God really gotten into the depth of your heart and your soul? To know that we are totally forgiven by God for everything that we've done. And we will not have to give an account of sin before him because Christ took it freely. And he gave it to us. It was not earned. God didn't choose me because of how good I look. God didn't choose me because I don't fail. God didn't choose me because of talent. God chose me because he chose me. This is grace in its essence. It's free. God lavishes his love on me for no apparently good reason. It's because he chose to do it. And if we can grab even a little bit of that, and let it sink in, it will change the way that you think about everything. Selfishness goes right out the door. If I have received freely from God, why should I not give freely to you? If God has totally forgiven everything that I have ever done and ever will do in Christ, why should I not forgive you? And yet we have so many of these petty differences that keep us from fellowship 
fellowshipping with each other or we look for ways to condemn each other. Look what the country's trying to do to the patriots. Why? Where's the grace? There is none. Grace doesn't exist apart from God. I mean, we can maybe try to manufacture it, but God is the ultimate standard of grace. Love covers a multitude of sins. We're not so, we're not so keen on criticizing each other and complaining about what each other does. We're not worried so much about how other people are going to view us because our value is not in ourselves. Our value is in God. It's in Christ because he loves us and he paid for our sins and he will never leave us. He came into our life on his own. We love him because he first loved us. There's none who seeks after God. And for us to know all these things that we we just take for granted every day as a Christian, it's awesome stuff. And so here's another point of reference. It's another marker that you can use in your life. Are you growing in the grace of Christ? Is your understanding of what God has done for you through Christ better now than it was before? And it has it impacted your life in a greater way than it did before. I really believe that most people are woefully ignorant. Most Christians are woefully ignorant about the grace of God. How important it really is. Without grace, we would not even be here. We wouldn't be alive. We were talking Saturday morning in the men's meeting. We were going through a book written by Al Mohler, and the chapter that we were on was called The God Gene. Um, you probably have heard in, in the news in the past, let's say the past 10 years or so, there was a man who said that he discovered the, the gay gene in that um, homosexuality was not just a, a human behavior of choice, but it was, it was a physical genetic um, trend or a genetic um, thing that was, that was passed on. And it, it, that's, um, I'm not a scientist, so I can't speak to it with authority, but basically the scientific community has shunned the man who came up with this outright. Um, But the same man now is trying to explain faith in God in terms of biochemical processes. And so he's trying, you know, he's he's obviously an atheist. He believes in evolution, as does most of the world. But he's trying to explain why people have faith, why people believe in something outside of themselves. And why so many people in this world have a concept of God and live according to that concept of God when there is no God. How is this to be? And so he's looking into uh, genetics and has claimed to come up with the God gene so that people who have this gene have a tendency to believe in God because of the genetic factors uh, involved. Without the grace of God, we wouldn't even be able to think things like that. God gave you your life. The image of God is stamped on man so that we can imagine, we can think. We think in terms of words and language, and I can communicate to you. You're not not saying anything to me, but you're listening. It's coming into your head. All it is is sound waves, right? It's going into your ear. Your ear is translating those sound waves somehow into knowledge and truth and and things that we can connect with. How is that even possible? It's the grace of God. The grace of God was freely given to us. Without it, we cannot walk with God. You can't walk with God on your own. It's an impossibility. We're we're, we're sinful. We're, We're debased human beings. We love ourselves. We're too selfish. But when the grace of God appears... In our life, we change. God changes us from the inside. It's freely given and it's undeserved. It's bound up in his love, his mercy, his kindness, his compassion. It's bound up with truth. In Christ, we find grace and truth in John chapter 1. And obviously, grace was exemplified in the Lord Jesus Christ when he came and offered his body as a sacrifice for sin out of love 
So we need to grow in our understanding of grace. And really, the only way to do that is to read. You've got to keep reading. Keep reading about grace. Do a study on grace. Listen to sermons on grace. Read a book about grace. Whatever it is, you need to grow in grace. That's the point. That's a marker. It's an absolute marker of, of spiritual growth is to grow in grace. And not only in our knowledge of grace, but to grow in grace itself. It needs to have an impact and change our life, to change the way that we think. To know about the grace of God is one thing, but to let it sink down in and to believe in the grace of God so much that it changes our reactions to people, it changes our attitudes in life. Um, that's, that's real growth. We are no longer under the law. We're not bound up by the heavy burdens that the law presents. We are not valued by God because of our performance. We are not condemned by God because of our failure. And yet, that's where most of us live. We're afraid, we fear. Live in the grace of God and let it have its work in you. Um, Ephesians, um, I'll just give you two verses here. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. Look at what God did. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. To the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to the kind intention which he purposed in him. Do you realize what God did for you? And it was according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon you. You are accepted by God in Christ. You can go home tonight and rest your head on your pillow if you're saved and know that everything's going to be okay. drives me crazy when you watch a movie and there's some horrible thing about to happen and they say, it's going to be okay. No, it's not. The hammer's about to fall. Run. We can, in our hearts, say everything is going to be okay, and it is okay in Christ. If I died right now in the pulpit, I know exactly where I would be. Apart from the body, home with the Lord. Why do I even say that? Why do we know that? It's because he has revealed the mystery of his will and the riches of his grace to you and to me in his word. And we believe it, we have faith in it, and it changes us. And we need to let it change us. There is therefore now no condemnation, none, to those who are in Christ Jesus. That's grace. We love to get angry at people. We love to get upset when people don't do things correctly or according to our pattern of thinking. It's not right. It's not grace. We need to let the grace of God filter down into our heart and change us. So 2 Peter 3, 18, grow in grace. The rest of them I'm going to move through rather quickly. The first two are really the the foundational ones. Third one, I want you to turn to Ephesians 4, 13 to 15. We've read this twice now already. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 13 to 15. Third marker of our spiritual growth is maturity. Spiritual maturity, our level of maturity. Um, Ephesians 4.13, until we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man. So, how do we measure that? Here's a couple of things that I'll give to you um, to help us understand what we're talking about by maturity. One is maturity in thinking. Um, If you look at 1 Corinthians 14.20, sorry to jump around like this. It's the nature of a topical study. First, just listen to it. Brethren, do not be children in your thinking. In evil, be babies. But in your thinking, be mature. So what is mature thinking all about? Well, here's a couple of things that um, I think are true. One, it's knowing that we're not always right. Being teachable, 
and being approachable. I think the more maturity we have, the more that we understand that we don't have to be as dogmatic about things to be secure in our faith. The flip side of that is that strength of conviction will also increase. They don't seem to go together, but they do. So our convictions about what we believe in in Jesus Christ will be stronger and stronger as we mature. So immaturity, somebody would come up and, and say, this is what I think about whatever doctrine you want to pick. And you say, oh, you know, I think about it this way. I wonder, you know, am I right, am I wrong? And, and as you mature, your, your convictions become stronger because you've read more, you've understood more, you've had more interaction with people, and you become more settled in your thinking. But you also understand that to, to have a, a, such a firm dogmatism um, is really almost a selfish act. And so all I'm saying is, as you mature, I think one measure of maturity in thinking is, is this teachability and, and realizing that we're not always right. A slowness to criticize and complain is another one. Um, as you mature in your thinking, those types of reactions to things and those words will be slower to come out of your mouth. Uh, Ecclesiastes 5.2 says, Do not be rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. And so I think uh, there's, a, there's a, a measurability in our uh, ability to handle situations without complaining about it, without criticizing others, um, and being so dogmatic. Um, and I think also, and this parallels what we said in the first one, as we grow in maturity, our skill in the word will also mature. You know, we'll be able to think about God's word, think through God's word, think about how it applies and how it um, touches our lives in different areas. So our level of maturity needs to increase. Fourth marker is our level of humility. Our level of humility. Philippians 2, verse, really the first four verses. If there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit... If any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. And don't merely look out for your own personal interests, but for the interests of others. And have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. So, our, our level of humility needs to be changing and increasing over time. The way that we think about ourselves, um, the two words that are used in verse 3, empty conceit and selfishness, those things need to start to go away. And, and you can measure that by how you react to things. Thinking you're right all the time. Um, it says, do nothing from selfishness. Are you more willing to let somebody else make a decision than you? Where do you want to go? Well, I want to go here. Well, I'd rather go over here. I know, but I'd rather go here. You know, when we push our way, we're, we're, um, we're less motivated to listen to other people, um, not becoming angry when things don't go our way not asking for things so much, being content with what we have. These are all marks of humility, and so the things that we can look for. Um, empty conceit is the word that means vain glory. It just means wanting to glorify yourself and wanting other people to, to praise you. And so ask yourself the honest questions. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Am I doing it because I want the praise of other people? I want other people to recognize me. I want other people to say good things about me. Are we only motivated when we receive praise uh, from, from others? Do we love to look in the mirror? Do we exaggerate or do anything to make people think uh, that we're better than we really are? Um, regard people, other people, as more important than yourself. And this, the, this is it's like a meter, and you can, you can measure that in how you think. Esteem them. Treat, them. treat other people as your superior. 
It's hard to do. Humble ourselves, abase ourselves, look out for the interests of others more than your own. Um, whether it's time or deferring to somebody else's opinion or whatever it might be. So that's a fourth marker, our level of humility. A fifth marker is our sensitivity to and repudiation of sin. As you grow in Christ, the awareness of your own personal sin will grow. It should grow. And you'd almost think it would be backwards because you say, as, as I'm growing, you know, I'm sinning less, which probably would be true, but your awareness of and your hatred of your own sin will grow. There's no question about that. Um, Romans, in Romans 6, 1, Paul asked the question, should we continue in sin so that grace may abound? And the answer is a hearty no, we should not. Um, but do we have a greater understanding now of, of the things that God hates? Ungodliness, anxiety, worry, frustration, anger, discontentment, pride, lack of self-control, irritability, impatience, judgmentalism, critical spirit, enviness, um, or envying somebody else, jealousy, having to be in control all the time, worldliness, idolatry. These are all listed in the New Testament. Are we aware of them? Are we becoming more aware of them? Are we becoming more aware of us you know, ourselves doing them, and do we have a greater ability to put these things off in our life? Do we recognize when we get frustrated and, and we, can, we can just go to the Lord and, and eliminate it? That's what he says, put off these things, put all these aside, lay aside the old self. Our old self was crucified with Christ. Walk in the spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Don't be conformed to the former lusts. Um, if we walk in darkness, we lie and we don't practice the truth. These are all um, commands in the New Testament for us to put off sin. And so, are you growing in that area? Do you know that right now you, you've put off things in your life that you were doing before? And is that a continuing process? A sixth marker is the opposite of that it's a love for righteousness. Do you know what God loves? Are you able to define it? Faith, moral excellence, knowledge, self control, patience. Kindness, love, forgiveness, humility, purity, zeal, diligence. These are all virtues. These are all characteristics, things that God loves. Are they increasing in your life? Is your self-control better than it was before? Is your love for people, is it growing? Just as he said in, in First Thessalonians, your, your love for one another has grown. And do we have a greater ability to put these on? Just as we were to put off sin, the, the New Testament is clear. Put on the new man. Put on a heart of compassion. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your inner man is being renewed, strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, strengthened with power for the attaining of steadfastness. So are those things being put into your life? And then lastly, a seventh marker of spiritual growth is prayer. No question about it, our prayer life. Are we praying more often than we were? You can mark prayer that way, I suppose. Are we praying with a wider variety of people? What are we praying for? Is the depth of our, our prayer changing? And how we pray, is it changing? We're praying with a deeper sense of conviction. As the New Testament say, right? Pray without ceasing. Ask and you shall receive. You don't have because you don't ask. Devote yourself to prayer. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Pray for one another. When you pray, go to your father in secret. At midnight, Paul and Silas were praying. Be alert and sober-minded so that you may pray. And so our prayer lives are form the seventh marker of spiritual growth. So how are you doing? How am I doing? Um, sometimes, you know, we, we think about these things and, and we're not quite sure what we mean, but hopefully uh, this has stimulated your thinking a little bit and given you some practical things to think about. So here they are again, seven markers of spiritual growth. An increased knowledge of God. An increase in the grace of Christ. An increase in maturity in our thinking, an increase in our level of humility, an increase in our sensitivity and repudiation of sin, an increase in our love for righteousness, and 
growth in our prayer life. So there it is. Those are seven markers of spiritual growth, and uh, I hope that it's been an encouragement to you as it has for me as I've gone through it. And uh, let's pray for each other in these specific areas. You want to pray for one another as a church? Here's how we can pray. Pray that we would all be growing uh, in these areas. So let's close in prayer. <clears throat> Father, I do thank you for um, your word and how clear it is to us in, um, in these areas and just... Pray, Lord, that we would be first and foremost related to you through Christ. I pray, Lord, that if there there are even people here today who have never come to terms with their own sin and their relationship to you, that um, the gospel might just be clearly understood, that you love us, that you sent your only begotten Son to be a sacrifice for our sin, and that through faith we can receive forgiveness. And Lord, I pray that um, as we grow as believers, that We would be measurably growing day by day, year by year, uh, so that um, as we interact with one another and as we uh, are here serving at the church, that we can say with confidence that we are growing as a believer in Christ, that our knowledge is increasing, that our understanding of your grace and our understanding of sin and righteousness and our humility, our prayer, that all these things are are increasing over time and, and becoming stronger and more evident in our lives. And this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you'll open your hymn book to number 45, let's all stand and sing the second verse. Surely goodness and mercy. Second verse, number 45. Surely good. 